Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. He is risen. Will you tell three people next to you, he is risen? That's the ultimate question, isn't it? Has he? Has he really risen? The resurrection is the epicenter and the foundation of Christianity, not only because Jesus said that if you will destruct this temple, tear down this temple, I will rise it again. It is the very foundational piece to what makes Christianity true. If it isn't, then we should be at brunch and not here. Piety is not the driving force and the dynamism of Christianity. But at the same time, it is an outrageous claim. Sometimes I ask people, so do you believe that Jesus died? Yes. Do you believe he rose again? Of course. I'm like, of course. The resurrection is meant to be an outrageous claim. Because if it's true, it changes everything about what you know it changes everything about physics thermodynamics all that we have caught up to because then jesus is not just a prophet he is god he is creator that we find in the beginning of the pentateuch and the torah in the book of genesis therefore like c.s lewis says in mere christianity There is no convenient option. Either Christianity has eternal significance or it it doesn't. How could this man named Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified by Rome for creating instability in a massive empire of power in only 270 years, where Constantine converts to Christianity, The king of all kings of the earth worships the king of all kings. That's like equivalent to Putin calling a ceasefire in Ukraine and saying, I am repenting. I saw Jesus in a vision and now I am repenting of my ways. It it is unlikely and not plausible that Rome, that, that would happen in Rome or Russia or today in modern day Ukraine. So when you look at that through a critical lens and you really think about it, a lot of times we conveniently look at Christianity as one of the religions, but the claim it's making, it's outrageous. Either Jesus was God or he was nuts or something worse, like C.S. Lewis says. So today, I want to give you the reason for our hope, for the believer, why even in the midst of your doubt, in the tensions of your own life, even as you approach death, why you may believe. For the seeker to think through critically about what makes this man, Jesus of Nazareth, literally the epicenter of history, 
splits time. Ando Domini, the year of our Lord, 2022. What makes him still relevant today when he supposedly died? The reason for our hope and the reason why you can believe. So let's turn to this text. And I want to focus on the veracity of the resurrection account. Can it, can it stand up to scrutiny the degree of this historicity? When you want to measure the degree of some event, the historicity and the spectrum that it really happened, you measure through the critical lenses of examination. When we look at the resurrection account, what we see is that people are telling a story. There are two groups of people that seen the resurrection literally happen. First, the Roman soldiers. They were there. They saw the resurrection, as Matthew tells us, and the women who visited the tomb in the beginning, in the morning dawn that day. So the reports of two eyewitnesses of the resurrection. So first, let's examine the scrutiny and the historicity of the Roman soldier's testimony of what happened. And this is what Matthew tells us in verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. So it says some of the guards. Most likely they were imperial guards from King Herod and um, Roman guards together guarding this tomb because it was declared that Jesus would rise. And they wanted to make sure that he stayed dead. And a Roman crucifixion was very convincing, if you haven't noticed. So soldiers, multiple soldiers, you can see Matthew envisions here, goes to tell the chief priest, and they give them a large sum of money to say that this, is, didn't, this didn't happen, tell them that you fell asleep, and the disciples came to the tomb and stole the body. Now, let's test the historicity, the testimony, and the veracity of the report of the Roman soldiers. First, the disciples, when Jesus died, were nowhere to be found except John. They ran. They scattered, scared. Peter, a little girl, a little teenage girl, said, you were one of the disciples, and he denied Jesus three times. They were not willing to die for Jesus when he was being crucified or when he was being arrested. They fled. Logically, why would they try to steal a body when they were afraid? And let me just tell you, the Roman soldiers, I know we kind of take law enforcement for granted today, okay? This is not like the night of the museum with Ben Stiller, okay? Or the mall cop with Kevin James. We're talking about Roman soldiers here. We're talking about, you know, 300. We're talking about Rome that conquered the ancient world through Pax Romana, through power and might by crucifixion. They were brutal. That's like me saying the married men in our church, which our physique is not our greatest strength, we could rob the New York Knicks and mug them. Well, they, they are being robbed and mugged in the court. <laughs> Sorry, Danny, that's true. The only thing we, we probably could beat the New York Knicks or the New York Giants is in jeopardy. We would not be able to physically dominate any of those guys. Why? They're much bigger than us, tougher than us. They get paid millions of dollars because they're athletes. That's the moral equivalency of saying that the disciples thought or they could overtake the soldiers. 
And how would you roll away the stones that weighed tons, three, four tons? How would they not hear that? When you measure the degree of the historicity of the resurrection, it starts to have a huge hole in the count of the story. That's not really plausible. The disciples fled and abandoned Jesus in doubt in the most toughest time, and they fell asleep the night he was arrested, couldn't even pray. So the report of the Roman soldiers don't stand. What about the women? Matthew writes, first of all, in verse 1 to 8, 30 years after this account, Matthew is a compilation of the preaching of Peter. Of course, Matthew was one of the disciples, the Gospel of Matthew, to a primarily Jewish audience. But in the ancient world, especially in the Middle East, you would never, ever put women as your first eyewitness testimony. Even today in the Middle East, women would not be able to hold a testimony in the court of law because they're not counted as people. Some parts would only count women as half a person. So then why would the elders of the church use women to be the first eyewitnesses? That is actually a tragic mistake if you're trying to start a fraud, beginning with eyewitnesses that would be discredited. Unless that's exactly what happened. There is no other reason for Matthew to add the women's account unless that's what happened. And if you look at historians, they discredit Christianity in the first, second century for that reason. Oh, a bunch of women? Sensationalist. Do you know how emotional they are? How dramatized they are? The ancient world didn't have a very favorable view of women, but the women met Jesus. If you read that text, Mary Magdalene and the other, they met Jesus literally in the resurrected body. So you see that symmetry there, that, that part of the rough part of the story is right there. That's the first reason. So why can we trust the story of the resurrection? Well, because clearly the disciples could have embellished the account and they probably should have embellished the account, but they didn't. They told the truth. They're not lying. Their story stands up in terms of historicity because it's not beneficial to them to tell the story this way. And then tell the story of them doubting the resurrection. A quote from Sherlock Holmes goes like this. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however plausible, might be, must be true. Right? When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however plausible, must be true. So, if this account is true, what does it mean? What does it mean if Jesus really did arise from the dead? He rose. It would change everything about how we think about reality.
See, that's why Christianity, a lot of people think Christianity is about subjective emotionalism or an opioid like Nietzsche thought that you need to get through life. You need, you need a crutch to get through life because it's hard. No, it, it wouldn't be piety. It would be reality. We'd be redefining reality completely. So that's the first thing. The second thing is what Jesus said from the beginning. The second reason we can believe in the resurrection, the count of the resurrection, is because Jesus did exactly what he said he'll do, even though everyone doubted him before and after the resurrection. Like, let me just read another gospel account, not Matthew, but Luke. It says clearly here, when, verse 9 of Luke 24, 9 to 12, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others who told them to, to the apostles. Verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seem like nonsense. So Jesus told the disciples, I will rise in multiple occasions. After I die, I will rise. I will rise. And they didn't believe it at the time, and they didn't believe it afterwards. So why did God and why did Jesus say it? He knew no one would believe it. The resurrection wasn't contingent, wasn't predicated upon belief. Tell someone, you don't have to believe it. Tell someone, you don't have to believe it. It happened. Why is that important? Because the resurrection is supposed to lead to doubt. If you haven't doubted the resurrection, you will when you're about to die. Tim Keller talks about this in a, Latin, in a poignant piece in the Atlantic about him getting cancer. He had to re-examine the resurrection because the resurrection account makes the complete difference life after death. Paul says if... Christ is our only hope for this life. We should be the most pitied of all men and all women. It redefines everything. So, if Jesus is who he said he is, and if the resurrection really did happen, it changes everything. And I remember this in my own life in college. Signing up to be a minister, right at 19 years old, I began to doubt the resurrection. I began to doubt and read philosophy, read psychology, and said, what if this is just a, a cultural, environmental expression, forms of religion? Even though I saw, I've seen demons being cast out, I've seen supernatural things, I've seen healings, even though, just like the disciples, I've seen miraculous signs in my life to that point, there was a moment when I didn't believe and was doubting. And so one day in April like this, in the middle of April, I took the garbage out out of my dorm room. And that was a miracle in itself because I never ever threw the garbage out. And I threw the garbage out in depression and in sort of an existential crisis in my life. And this is what I said to God. God, if you're real, we make it snow today. 
like in the next hour or so. And I'm not kidding. My wife could testify to this. She was, she, we went to the same school. It started snowing. And guess what I said when it started snowing? That's just a coincidence. That's not God. The truth is, it was easier, I learned in hindsight, it's easier for God to roll away the stones at the tomb than to roll away the stone guarding my own heart. There is a willful blindness that we choose in our lives despite what God might do, even the miracles around us, even though in hindsight you can see God's fingerprints in your life, you doubt. What does that mean? Well, the last miracle is very much like the first miracle. How many people remember the first miracle of Jesus? Shout it out to me. Jesus turned water into wine. It was transubstantiation. Why? Turning water into wine, being the first open bar in human history, like I said, most weddings. He turned an eternal fountain of alcohol. But if you read John carefully, it says on what day, what Jewish weddings are seven days long, on what day did Jesus turn water into wine? John 2, on the third day. On the third day, Jesus turns water into wine. But it was his greatest miracle because it proved something about him that was different than any other miracle because it doesn't matter if you pour water into a jar. If you want that to evolve into wine, you need grapes. There were no grapes. It was just water. What is that? It's transubstantiation. It's only the creator can create something out of nothing. It's really ex nihilo almost. And that's why it's his greatest miracle. Healing is taking something that's there and broken and fixing it. But the first miracle was his greatest compared to the resurrection, in contrast to the resurrection, because it did something. He created wine. Didn't evolve into wine. And this is what it says very clearly. When what Jesus did in John 2.11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. What glory? That he is God. He's the creator. So from transubstantiation, we find the resurrection. The glory of God revealed. And the text says, and his disciples believed in him so what's my point I want you to doubt God tell someone next to you I want you to doubt God I want you to doubt the resurrection because if you're like oh yeah the resurrection I don't think you're taking it seriously oh yeah of course I believe in the resurrection oh yeah I'm a good Christian that won't be enough in your deathbed And this is what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. We are faced then with a frightening alternative. Either Jesus was and is exactly what he said, or else he was insane or something worse. However strange or terrifying, 
or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. And Lewis says, don't give me this, these euphemisms and political correctness about Jesus being a good teacher. Because if he was a good teacher, Rome would have not crucified him onto a cross for creating instability. Jesus doesn't give us the option of staying in somewhere in between. History is there. The evidence is there. We have to examine it. And just like he turned water into wine, and just like the resurrection was not predicated upon the disciples believing, if God wanted to move in your life, he will. And he can. Even if you don't have faith, like the disciples did it. Even if you doubt. Because that's the testimony of Matthew. So the option today is to think about who Jesus is in your life. Who is he? Have you really grappled with history? He doesn't leave us a middle ground. And that's what Easter represents. Let us stand and pray together. I remember that day when it literally did start blizzarding. A blizzard for about five, ten minutes came over Nyack, Westchester, if you're from there. And I looked up to the sky. And clearly, to me, to my prayer, it was a miracle. But yet, I still did not believe. Only in hindsight did I realize that salvation is not just limited to my unbelief. The fact that I can't even cause my belief to happen, I mean, that's God's work. And I realize in hindsight that God had to save me from my own willful blindness. Yes, Lewis says that there's a willful blindness about why we won't give in to God, even though there are signs and glimmers of his presence in our lives, we'll willfully be blind to it. The stone that holds our heart, it's much more difficult to remove than the stone God removed in that tomb. And I pray that God's power and God's reality would happen to you. If you're, you're really an empiricist, you believe in science, you believe in evidence, then that's exactly what our prayer should be. God, if you're real, move in my life in a way so I can believe. Even that far.
Let's make this our prayer. The Father's song. I have heard so many songs. So listen to a thousand tongues. Listen to a thousand But there songs. is one that sounds above them all. There is one that sounds above them all. The Father's song. Father's song. The Father's love. The Father's love. You sung it over me and for eternity. You sung it over me and for It's written on my heart. Eternity. It's written on my heart. Heaven's perfect melody. Heaven's perfect melody. The Creator's symphony. The Creator's symphony. You are singing over me. You are singing over me. The Father's song. The Father's song. Heaven's perfect mystery. Heaven's perfect mystery. The King of Love has sent for me. King of Love has sent for me. And now you're singing over me. Now you're singing over me the Father's song. The Father's song. I'm going to invite you to lift your hands with me today as a symbol, believers and seekers. In John 2.11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Faith is a gift. If we could find it through our own merit, then we would be proud that we got there. One of the greatest lessons I've learned in my own struggle of faith said, I can't will for me even to believe. That's the tomb. That's the stone that guards my heart. Only God has to show up. I pray for you today that God would turn your life and do that miracle in your own life. Transubstantiation. If there's no faith, he'll fill it like water into wine start making sense and it'll be full for those of us who believe what an amazing moment to know that the God of the universe incarnated in Jesus of Nazareth and everything has changed say God I want to follow you Jesus lead my life once again at the center of my life. That's the gift of Easter. I pray, God, that you would turn water into wine in our lives. The places in our lives where we think it's completely dead, 
the places in our lives where we think is too far gone places in our lives where the tensions continue to harass us we pray for your miracle your creation to take place and reveal like you did to the disciples who you are you bow your heads for the benediction. After the benediction, Sarah's going to come up and give you some logistics, where, like where the bathroom is if you have to really go. So if you bow your heads, just wait for one moment, and Sarah's going to come up. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say... Amen. God bless you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service at 180 Church. My name is Minyang, and I'll be going over our community news before going into our sermon for today. Our first announcement is about tithes and offering. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you remember to keep God in the center of your finances. So please tithe faithfully, which you can do at Venmo, Zelle, Chase Quick Pay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor with us here today, we welcome you to our service, and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can feel free to do so in those methods. Our next announcement is about, is about Bible Reading Group, or BRG, as we like to call it here. We have an Instagram handle and a Tumblr page at 180BRG, where you can jump in at any time to read the Bible with us. Um, there are regular posts on both channels, so feel free to follow along and get fed with the Word of God. Um, speaking on getting fed with the Word of God, we now have devotionals available for purchase at our 180 Cafe. Um, as Dr. Sammy mentioned last week, um, devotionals are a great way to tune into our hearts and God's heart, even when we don't have the words or the power to pray. And we have a few available that you can purchase via uh, Venmo or Quick Pay at the cafe now, so feel free to check them out. Next up is all of the different ways that you can pray with us or pray with us or request prayer from our prayer team at 180. We invite you to use these resources at 5397 prayer or prayer at 180church.tv. And we also have house of prayer here in the theater at 1140 uh, before service begins. So feel free to come and align your hearts. Next up is all the different ways on social media that you can stay connected with our church. We're on three Instagram handles at 180church, 180brg, and 180fellowship. We have a YouTube channel at 180churchNYC. Dr. Sammy here, uh, our past, head pastor here at 180 Church, has a Twitter page at Dr. Sammy Kim. Our Facebook page is at 180 Church. And as mentioned, we have a Tumblr page at 180brg, so feel free to follow us, like us, and keep up with us throughout the week. Our next announcement is about small groups, which are still mostly being held remotely during this time. Um, small groups are where we can meet in smaller pockets of our community and connect during the week. Our adult groups meet Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Our young adult group meets every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. And our college group, 180 Fellowship, meets in pers person, I believe, on Mondays at 7.30 p.m. And if you're interested in getting plugged in, you can come talk to me after service. Our next announcement is about our children's ministry. We need volunteers to help with watching our little runs during Sunday service. So if you enjoy hanging out with the younger crew and helping them to learn more about Jesus, you can speak to Pastor Leah or Michelle Kim. 
Uh, we also need volunteers for our 180 Cafe, which you guys pass on your way in here. We have a great team who serves up really delicious coffee and tea and other beverages, and they need some more help um, and more hands. So if you're interested in helping out, you can talk to Danny O or Wendy Lee. Or if, if, if you're interested in serving the community in a different way than the ones I mentioned, we do need more people on the greeting team to help welcome our members and visitors. So if you'd like to help out in this way, you can also talk to Danny O or Wendy Lee about this. That's it for all of our announcements today.